Praise the Lord, he is alive. Merry Christmas, church. You may be seated. Joy to gather with you this Christmas morning. And as we gather together, I recently read an article that maybe some of you read as well, that there is a trend in America for churches to close on Christmas. I want you to sit and think about that for a minute. Close the church on Christmas when it lands on the Lord's Day. Not going to make much commentary there. God calls us into faith. It is a corporate faith, and we gather together on the Lord's Day. But what greater day to gather together, to rejoice together, that a Savior was sent for us. I mean, we can get caught up in all the different presents under the tree and and all the, the family and gathering, but God sent us a Savior. What better day to gather and to rejoice together that a Savior was born, Christ our Lord. It's a day to remember for all of us that every single one of us are in need of a Savior and that Jesus came down from heaven to save sinners just like us. This morning, I'd like to share a sermon with you called Great Fear to Great Joy. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to welcome you to open you up to Luke chapter 2. Open up those Bibles, Luke chapter 2. If you were with us last night, we read through this Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. This morning, I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 for context, but I'll be focusing on verses 8 through 11 this morning as we look at great fear to great joy. Once you open up to Luke chapter 2, if you could stand to honor the public reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 1 through 14 this morning. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among among those whom he's pleased. Let's pray together. 
Father, as we read once again this account of you sending a Savior, sending us a Savior, Father, we pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, empower this truth once again to our lives, that this would not just be a, a, a story from the past, one that we're familiar with, but has no power in our lives. But for each of us here today who you've redeemed, maybe the story that refreshes our soul once again, that causes us to have great joy. And God, may this truth be for anyone in this place today who is still in need of a Savior. May your spirit draw them to Christ today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, church. The Christmas story. We see in verses 8 through 11 that an angel appears to shepherds and he comes to deliver good news of great joy. That word great in the Greek is megas. It's where we get the word mega. Mega communicates it is of the highest measure. It could mean a million times the amount. It's the largest amount of greatness that you can get. The angel basically preached good news of the greatest amount of joy that a person could experience. More on that good news in a bit. Luke also uses that Greek word megas to describe the type of fear that filled the shepherds. And so from those two uses of that word this morning, we're going to look at two different points from this text. One being great fear, and the second being great joy. So look at your Bibles again, and we're going to focus in, hone in on starting in verse 8, when we talk about great fear. In verse 8, we read again, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Again, this word great communicates the highest measure of something. It means they were terrified. They experienced the greatest amount of fear humanly possible. So we must ask, what is it that frightened them so greatly? An angel of the Lord appears, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and as a result we see they're filled with great fear. What is that fear? Fear was of God. Fear was of God. They acted as though the death angel had appeared and they were deserving of death. And as you read and as you're familiar throughout Scripture, whenever we see an angel appear, what happens to people? There is fear. Great fear. Fear that the judgment of God is coming upon them. This morning, I want to remind you that People weren't always afraid of their maker. That wasn't the original design. If you'd flip back to the very opening of your Bible, 
there is the, the account of creation, how God created all things. And then in chapter 2, he created mankind, and God communed with them in the garden. But at the end of chapter 2, very interesting, if you'd flip there, the very last verse of Genesis chapter 2, we read something that tells us they were communing freely with God, but then something occurs. Genesis chapter 2, in verse 25, we read this. And the man, Adam, his wife, who is Eve, it says they were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I know it's Christmas morning, that's kind of graphic, but the point was they weren't ashamed before God. There was no sin, and they communed openly with God. And then what happens right after that in chapter 3? There's the fall. Let's look at it together, Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of, that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But what just happened? I mean, God creates them. They're unashamed. They're communing with him. And all of a sudden we find them hiding themselves. What happened? They sinned against God. And because they sinned against him, now they wanted to hide from him. Instead of communing openly, now they tried to hide. And that's what sin does to us. Sin makes us want to hide from God. Because we've all sinned against God. We know that we haven't lived according to his commands. And that is why the immediate reaction to the presence of God is fear. Fear. This is why the shepherd's response was of great fear when the glory of God was shining around them. It's actually an appropriate response for sinners to have in the presence of a holy God. This morning, we could slow down and just be mindful of the fact that there's nothing that God doesn't know about us. Think about that. He, he knows every single detail. He discerns every thought. He knows the motives of our hearts. He hears every word spoken. He sees every action taken. And there's no place that we can hide from him.
And though we may try to hide it from others around us, we can never hide it from God. And maybe your spouse doesn't know, but God knows. Maybe your parents don't know, but God knows. Maybe your boss doesn't know, but God knows. God knows everything about you. David spoke of this in Psalm 139. If you would flip over your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, we read, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from, far, from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness as light with you. Well, what did David understand? That God knows everything and that God sees everything. And this is why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 would write this. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's this very reality that causes man to fear the presence of God. That we have to give an account. And that he knows every single thing. Maybe you're here this morning and you've come in and thinking, well, I don't think I would fear in the presence of God. I don't think I'm that bad of a person. I don't think God would have issues with me. Let me remind you of something this morning. No matter how good you think that you are, the Bible says that all of us have something in common. And what is that? Sin. That every single one of us is S-I-N positive. All of us. This time of year, we could put it in Christmas terms and we can soften the blow and say, we're all on the naughty list. But we're all sinners. On the same level. I want you to think about sin for a minute because we tend to minimize it. We tend to think it's not that big of a deal. But sin is always committed against a holy God. Always. It is rebellion against God. And sin stores up the wrath of God. We've sinned against him. We've treated him like an enemy. We've rebelled against his authority. We've broken his laws. The Bible says that we are all guilty. 
that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says that the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but eternal damnation. You say, but pastor, isn't it true that God is love? Yeah, it's very true that God is love. But the Bible also declares that he is also holy and he is also just. And as a holy God, he hates sin and he must punish sin. And as a just God, Scripture says that he can by no means clear the guilty. Well, guess what? We're all guilty. So we all have a problem. Because the Bible says there's coming a time, a time for judgment, when God's wrath will be poured out on the sinner. In Hebrews 9.27, it says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There's no second chances after we breathe our last on this side of the grave. God's wrath will be poured out on all sinners. Friends, listen, this morning... This is man's greatest problem. You see, it's not that we're, we're lost and we need to find our way on some spiritual journey. It's not that we're wounded and we need to be healed. At the core of the human problem is that we are sinners under the judgment of God. And his divine wrath is hanging over us. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, until we believe that we are as bad as God says we are, we can never believe that he will do for us what he says he will do. We, my friends, are in desperate need of a Savior. And if you're here this morning, you're like, wow, that's Christmas morning, huh? This is what we do here? That's how we talk? That was great fear. The second point is great joy. Great joy. Look back into Luke. If you flip back to our text in Luke this morning. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Again, we read, And the angel said to them, them being the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news. The angel declares, I have brought you good news of great joy. When we just unpack the fear part a little bit, we understand this good news a little bit better. Not just any news, but it's the best news. And it brings the greatest joy. And that is what the angel brought. He did not bring a bucket of money so the shepherds could retire early and get out of those harsh elements of being outdoors. He didn't bring them some physical cure so that they could stay healthy while shepherding the sheep. The angel brought good news. Good news of great joy. It is from the Greek word, this Greek news, that we get the English word evangelize. Evangelize. It's also where the word gospel comes from. The gospel, the good news. It should be told to all people, and it should bring great joy to all who receive it. So, let's talk about this news. 
What exactly is this news of great joy? Look again at verse 11. Here it is. Luke 2.11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The good news of great joy is that Jesus, the Savior of the world, has come. God's people can now be reconciled to their God. People no longer have to live in fear of their maker. The Son has come to save them. This is great news. Most certainly, this is the greatest news that is accompanied by the greatest joy to those who understand that they need a Savior. You realize you need a Savior. This is the most glorious news there is. So my question to you this Christmas morning is, are you in need of a Savior? That's the question that matters this morning. Are you in need of a Savior? Because the good news is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you don't see yourself as a sinner, then you don't see yourself in need of a Savior. And then this doesn't seem like good news to you. But this is the greatest news there is. That out of love for his people, God sent his son into the world to save them. Let's flip over to the first letter, John's first letter, 1 John chapter 4. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Love the way that John pens this. In 1 John chapter 4, picking up in verse 9. John writes, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, now hold your place there. We're gonna come back to that text in a minute. But God's love demonstrated by sending his son into the world to save sinners. And yet there will be people who will argue with that and say, well, if God is so loving, and if God loves me, why does he allow X, Y, and Z to happen in my life? And they will question the love of God. And I would beg with you this morning to please listen, that you're asking the wrong question. We're to look at Christ's example. Christ never once asked any of the following questions. Christ never asked, if the Father loves me, why would he allow the world to hate me? Christ never asked, if the Father loves me, why would he allow me to be murdered like a criminal on a cross? Christ never asked, if the Father loves me, why would he ask that I die in the place of sinners? Christ never asked any of those questions. And neither should we base our perspective on God's love based upon our circumstances around us. 
Instead, God makes it very clear. His love was demonstrated by sending his son to save us. Far greater than our need for comfort, our greatest need is a savior. Looking back at that text, you have your finger on it. Looking at verse 9 again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is God's demonstration of love, sending Christ into the world. Sadly, there are those who think, well, I'd rather God have set, set some money so I can live a little better. Or there might be others who would say, I would rather God send me a spouse so I wouldn't be so lonely. But God, knowing our time here on earth is like a vapor, focuses attention not just on the here and now, but on eternity. 1 John 4, 9 says that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Out of his amazing love for us, God was concerned about our eternity. The question again you could ask yourself this morning is, where will I spend eternity? Where will I spend eternity? Jesus said it was because of God's great love for the world that Jesus came into the world. That whoever would believe in him but whoever would repent and trust in Christ should not perish, but they would have eternal life. This is the abundance, the heart of our God, that he would send Christ into the world to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could enjoy the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Look again at this passage in 1 John Chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does it say? It's not our response. It's not based upon our love for God that he sent Jesus. It was based upon his love for us. Not that we have loved him, but that he has loved us. It was out of that love that God sent Christ for his people, that he would be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big theological term, and it means that Christ's sacrificial death in our place completely satisfies God's wrath against us. So when Jesus said, it is finished, guess what? It is finished. It's done. It means that Christ has paid the full penalty for sin and that we can now be completely forgiven. You want to say Merry Christmas to each other? Dwell on that. Forgiveness in Christ Jesus. God's love demonstrated by sending his only son, the greatest gift ever given. Go ahead and try to argue it. You can't. There's no greater gift. It is the gift that brings great joy. That sinful, undeserving people would receive God's love, his mercy, and his grace. I love the way that Paul the Apostle summarizes this gift of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. He simply says this, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
inexpressible, indescribable, beyond words, what God has done by sending his son for us. What a gift. Not only is there forgiveness in Christ, but there's also newness in Christ. That when you receive Christ by repenting and trusting in him, God gives you a new heart, one that desires to please him. He also gives you his spirit to empower you to do the things that are pleasing to him. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter had stood and was preaching these same truths to the crowd then. And we read that those that were listening, that the people were cut to the heart, and they asked, what must we do? And Peter responds in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and he says to the crowd, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for us? It means you must receive the good news. God's gift of Jesus Christ. So another question for you this morning is, have you received him? Not do you understand the truth about him, but have you received him? The Bible says that in order to receive this gift, you must repent and you must believe. Repent means that you must turn to God. It means that you are going one direction, your own direction, and you must turn around and go towards God. It starts first in a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It is stop doing things your way and turn to God. But you must also believe. It means put all your trust and all your hope in Jesus, that he is the one that died to pay your debt. And that he's the one that rose again so that you would be clothed in his righteousness. And so when does this take place? When does this happen in our lives? Well, if you've never received him, guess what? You can do it right now. You can receive Christ. You can turn in repentance to him. And you can believe right now. You can know the real meaning of Christmas today. At this very moment that you can enjoy forgiveness and eternal life this very moment. I would plead, I would urge, I would, if I could arm wrestle you and put your arm behind your back and twist it and cause you to bow your knee to Christ as Lord and Savior. But that's the work of his spirit. But if he draws you to these truths and these truths are a reality to you and you realize you have never yielded to Christ as Lord and Savior, now's the time. What a great day to put down the calendar. Christmas Day 2022. The day of salvation. That it could be this day that you go from great fear to great joy. I like the way that John Piper spoke of Christmas. He said, Christmas, the Son of God expressing the love of God to save us from the wrath of God so we could enjoy the presence of God. Very well put. No more being in fear of the presence of God, but to enjoy the presence of God. 
And if you have received Christ as Lord and Savior, you have everything you could possibly want or need. Nothing else compares. Christ is the greatest treasure. Regardless of what is or what is not under the Christmas tree this morning, regardless of who is around or not around the Christmas tree this morning, if you have Christ, there is nothing better. If you have Christ, nothing else compares to him. He is the inexpressible gift. It is, after all, Christ mess. It is time to gather around and celebrate that God has sent his son as a gift to the world, that we are to treasure him, that we are to adore him, that we are to rejoice in him. Perhaps you were drugged in here this morning by a family member or maybe a neighbor and you know of these truths and yet you're afraid this morning that God will not receive you that you have done things you knew better that you should not have done. You knew that you were willfully rebelling against God and you're afraid this morning to come to him. Let me read you a quote from Charles Spurgeon this morning. Charles Spurgeon said, I know they are afraid to come back. They think that the Lord will not receive them, that there is no mercy for such sinners as they have been. Oh, but think of it. Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He was born to save. If he does not save, he was born in vain. For the object of his birth was salvation. If he shall not be a savior, then the mission of God to earth has missed its end. For its design was that lost sinners might be saved. End quote. This is why Christ has come to bring salvation to the lost. You have not gone so far that the grace of God cannot reach. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he said, it is finished, that it is paid for all of your sin, your past, your present, even future sin. When you come to him, there is joy. There is great joy. And this Christmas, may we all celebrate that we have great joy. Joy, because Jesus came to save sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. May we all have a merry Christmas full of joy. Let's pray together. Father, I can't think of a more glorious day to gather together and to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that out of your abundant love for your people, you would send a savior. That you would save wretches like us. Father, we know that there is none of us who are deserving of this. That it is by your grace. Lord, you have chosen to have mercy on whom you will have mercy. And God, you have given us the greatest gift of Jesus Christ. We pray this morning for those who you have drawn to repentance and faith, that God, the gospel would strengthen us in our walk with you. 
that the gospel would strengthen our love for you. That the gospel would bring us comfort and peace this day. Father, we pray for those around us who maybe have come in here this morning and Lord, maybe even looking for a message of hope that there is no greater message than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them to repentance and faith this morning and they would experience great joy in Christ Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.